0: at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started.
1: Well, friends, it's been quite a journey this month, hasn't it been? We've been wading through some deep subject waters, surrounded by a lot of scripture. we have been doing this together, and I think learning lots. And we've come to arrive here on this Sunday, exploring what the Bible says about the life that's coming. We've already tried to lay out at least some of what the Bible says about heaven and about hell, and today we'll conclude. We often speak about life after death. That's how our culture refers to it, maybe in some hopes of what that might be. And that's fine as far as that goes, life after death, because it is after death. But what we discover when we take the teaching of the Bible into account is that true Christian hope is actually what what Tom Wright calls life after life after death. Life after life after death. Our hope is not located in some faraway heaven on a distant celestial shore. No, what the Bible speaks clearly about is the instant unconditional relocation of all who have died in Christ, that we are now with Christ. We explored that a couple weeks ago, now and forever when we die. And yet, that heaven, that life after death is only temporary. What Randy Alcorn calls the intermediate heaven. And when we look beyond that life after death, we discover there's another fuller life that is yet coming after that, when heaven and earth are reunited and we are given resurrection bodies on a recreated earth, life after life after death. Nothing tops that final vision than what we're given through the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, through the apostle John in Revelation, right at the very end. If you recall last week's teaching on final judgment, This vision that we receive at the end of Revelation is immediately following the total annihilation of evil and death, as well as those who've rejected God's offer of free life through Jesus. John receives another vision. This is what he says. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And then John does something here. He draws together... All of the great prophetic passages, uh, visions of God's eternal kingdom, taking snippets from here and snippets from there, including our Isaiah reading from earlier in our song time. And we now hear details about this new heaven and this new earth. Verse two, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, look. is an incredible hope. And it's worth soaking in, letting it get down deep. These last two chapters of the book of Revelation, of the whole Bible, help us begin to feel through this sweeping grand vision with these rich and textured images to feel the life that's coming. That it's going to be nothing short of fabulous. Fabulous. Whether you're feeling hopeless, feeling despairing, feeling confused, feeling exhausted. I encourage you to let the Holy Spirit take you on a journey through this vision. Let the Holy Spirit encourage you with this vision of the life that's coming. These revelation images are rooted deep in Israel's story, now brought to fulfillment through the resurrected and glorified Jesus Christ. But with all of these images in the midst of a city that's come down from heaven, with all the gemstones and gates and rivers and trees, don't miss the crucial point. This is a life that's coming after, and it's coming here. It's so important to get this. Christian hope is located in a heaven that's coming back to earth, this earth, when all has been renewed, when God's rule is made complete, when we have been raised and God is dwelling among his resurrected people. And all this is super important because knowing what comes after really does influence how we live Now, how we love those who are difficult to love, how we integrate that future hope into our daily service, how that eternal future presses meaning, purpose into our weekly work, how what God will do gives depth even to our closest relationships, How our, and I'll use a big word here, eschatology, that is a Christian understanding of the end, the goal of all things, how our eschatology reframes the very way that we see the world around us now. You know, a recent clip uh, from Stephen Colbert's talk show has been making the rounds, it's gone viral, and it's a great example of how this works. I want to show you a little snippet of the longer interview. And we're going to be coming in partway into this interview, so I just want to set it up. Stephen is interviewing the British pop singer Dua Lipa. Uh, She is just launching her own podcast, and she's telling Stephen how much she loves interviewing people. And then he promptly turns the tables on her and invites her to then interview him. And she stumbles around for a moment because she's on the spot. But then she asks him an intriguing question, which provokes a profound response from Stephen Colbert. Here's what I want you to do. Listen to these next few minutes and listen for how his response is rooted in Christian hope.
2: Do you, do you like being interviewed or interviewing? Cuz some people really don't like being where you are and they like the sense of control where I am. Um, <laughs> I being one of those people.
3: I, uh, I I like I really I'm really enjoying interviewing people. I really am. And I really love like the research element to it and learning about people. Is there, and...
2: is there anything you'd like to ask me? <laughs>
3: Putting me on the spot. Um, well, you're
2: the guest. You get to do what you want. Okay. If you'd rather interview, you may interview me.
3: Okay. All right, well... Okay, let me have a thing. <laughs> Just one second. Keep I, in I, mind I,
2: it's, C, it's CBS.
3: Okay, I want And nothing... <laughs> there are limits. There are limits. Okay. All right. Um, okay. All right. Pop star. Back that way. Okay. Podcaster. All right. All right. Very serious stuff. So... Um,
2: I love your show, by the way. Amazing audience. Thank you. Thank, thank you, thank
3: you me. so much. Yes, you give you so them round me. a
2: round. I'm such a fan. <laughs> I'm such a fan. It's such. I was so nervous backstage. I'm such that. a fan of yours. Thank I'm actually you so really much. nervous. Oh my to, god! It's such an honor to interview. be here with you. So thank you yeah, so much please. for being here tonight. Oh god, I really yeah. appreciate it. A little nervous.
3: Um, so I think something that your uh, viewers really connect with mm-hmm. in your comedy and your hosting skills. Yes. Especially in the like past few years, is how open and honest and authentic you are about the role your faith plays in your life. Oh, that's interesting.: And I was wondering, is there any, you know, does your faith and your comedy ever overlap? <laughs> and does one ever win out?
2: I think ultimately. Us all being mortal, the faith will win out at the end. (laughs) But I certainly hope when I get to heaven, Jesus has a sense of humor. But I will say this, I will say this. uh, Someone was asking me earlier about what I... This this relates to faith, because my faith is involved with... I'm I'm a Christian and a Catholic, and that's always connected to the idea of um, love and sacrifice Mm -hmm. being somehow related and giving yourself to other people. And that death is not defeat, if you, if you can see where I'm getting at there. Someone asked asking me earlier, what movie did I really enjoy this year? And I said, well, I really like Belfast, which is kind of Branagh's story of his childhood. And one of the reasons I love it is that I'm Irish and uh, Irish-American, and it's such an Irish movie. Um, and I think this is also a Catholic thing because it's, it's funny and it's sad. And it's funny about being sad. In the same way, that sadness is like a little bit of an emotional death, but not a defeat if you can find a way to laugh about it. Because that laughter keeps you from having fear of it. And fear is the thing that keeps you from turning to evil devices to save you from the sadness. As Robert Hayden said, we must not be frightened or cajoled into accepting evil as our deliverance from evil. We must keep struggling to maintain our humanity, though monsters of abstraction threaten and police us. So if there's some relationship between my faith and my comedy, it's that no matter what happens, you are never defeated. You must understand and see this in the light of eternity and find some way to love and laugh with each other.
1: That is an incredible example of a thoughtful Christian expressing his faith in Jesus. And did you notice this? How what Stephen believes about what comes after then influences his life, his work, his comedy now. Did you catch some of the key truths he was expressing? If you've been with us through this series, you might even recognize some of them. Uh, All of life is a gift. The the fact that we are mortal. Uh, What did he say? He said, ultimately, all of us being mortal, the faith will win out in the end. How about the fact that all is grace? He said, I hope Jesus has a sense of humor. And it was a way of him expressing, actually, his confidence in the grace of Jesus. He said that Jesus' loving sacrifice defines our life of service when he said love and sacrifice are somehow related, giving yourself to other people. He expressed the truth that Jesus conquered death and how that changes everything. The fact that resurrection renews when he said death is not defeat. And then joy, that somehow the good news of Jesus changes our experience of suffering He said, sadness is a little bit of an emotional death, but not a defeat if you can find a way to laugh about it. And then when he finally answers the question directly, this is what he says, if there is some relationship between my faith and my comedy, it is that no matter what happens, you are never defeated. You must understand and see this in the light of eternity and find some way to love and laugh with each other. Now, friends, why do I share this clip? Well, partly because it's just a great example of a Christian bearing witness to Jesus in the public sphere, and I wanted you to see that. But mainly, it's because it shows us that what the Bible has to say about what comes after, it's all connected to Stephen's main point here. It's what he's expressing, that no matter what happens, you are never defeated, that's what Isaiah tells us. It's what Jer- Jeremiah is talking about. It's what Daniel was going on about. It's what Jesus taught. It's what Jesus lived. It's what we hear through Revelation. It's what we've been exploring through this entire series that because of Jesus the Messiah, because he's the Son of God, because of his sacrificial death, because of his victorious resurrection, because of this heaven and earth reunion that is coming for us after, death is not defeat. And when we know this, we can, in the words of Stephen Colbert, understand and see all of our lives in the light of eternity and find some way to love and laugh with each other. Ah, Beautiful. My hope is that our after series will have helped us, yes, get a bit more clear, but a whole lot more confident in our lives now following Jesus. Now, I know I've heaped a pile of information on in the last few weeks. I'm aware of that. I've also received the feedback from you on that. Um, and I hope you're choosing to dig further into these things, particularly ones that sparked you or irritated you or intrigued you. And maybe you want to join us tomorrow evening. We're going to have a chat over Zoom um, Monday evening, February 28th, and uh, a link will be going out through uh, email or you can find it on our website. Um, but... I want to take you just to one final place today. Set against the backdrop of heaven coming to earth, I want to explore with you a a hopeful and I think helpful way that we can think about our own bodily resurrection. And I want to offer you a single image coming right out of Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 15. And that's the image of a simple seed. I have in this bowl... Some wheat. And wheat is, uh, I don't know, a lot of memories for me. I love the feel of wheat running through my fingers. I love the smell. I love the taste. I won't eat it right now because it'll be crunching in the mic and be irritating, I'm sure. Uh, But it reminds me a lot of growing up on the farm when my dad and I would harvest barley, or, or uh, you know, various seeds, oats. But wheat, there was something about wheat. We would take a handful of it and we would eat it while we were walking to the tractor or walking to the house. There's a lot of memory with wheat. Freshly harvested grain, uh, there's just something so beautiful about it, the way that it kind of brings home everything you've been doing. And we all know the amazing power of seed, don't we? That in spite of what it looks like, within this tiny little grain, lies incredible power. There's life inside this seed. It's kind of hard to believe, actually. Just this week, uh, Bonnie Bjornason texted me a picture of a bunch of seeds that were growing up under her grow lights. Old seeds, it turns out, over a decade old. And because uh, she didn't know how many of them would still have life in them, didn't know how many would germinate, she deliberately overseeded with very low expectations. Well, you know what happened, right? They all came up. (laughs) There was lots of life there. These little time seeds that we thought were past their prime, or she did, uh, still packed a power for life that was just unleashed when planted. Seeds. If you've ever wondered how we can think about our resurrection bodies that are coming, how we can think about our bodies now, our bodies that matter, Think of seeds. That's how Paul puts it for us in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 is the most robust teaching we have on resurrection in the Bible. And there's already been a bunch of teaching earlier in the chapter that we're not going to look into today. Paul's defending resurrection against a group that have begun to think it doesn't matter. Or maybe they're not even sure it's going to happen. So there's lots going on. But down further, he begins to address some specific questions about it. We pick up in verse 35. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? With what kind of body will they come? And Paul then responds to this question, whether it's real or hypothetical or rhetorical, whatever. He says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined into each kind of seed he gives his own body, its own body. Not all flesh is the same. Uh, people have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, fish another. There are heavenly bodies, there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. The splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another. The stars differ from star and splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. The body that is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Seeds, Paul says. Think of yourselves as seeds. You wonder how the resurrection is going to work? You wonder what connection that has with your body? You wonder what that has to do with you now? Think of your bodies as seeds. Seeds. Seeds that are containing the life of your future self. That you are a seed of what's to come. But you've been packed now with the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. So that when you die, when you're planted, well, look what you're going to grow into. You're going to grow into your resurrection life. And when resurrected, you will be beyond your wildest dreams. Another kind, but the same of being. You're going to be exactly who you were destined to be in God's design. Now, I actually suspect that Paul was reflecting on the teaching of Jesus, the words of Jesus about resurrection seeds. Back in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, just before Jesus went to the cross, he said these words about himself. John chapter 12, verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, if it dies, it produces Many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Could it be that Paul was reflecting on the words of Jesus as he considered this challenge, this question about what our resurrection would be like? And he thinks, Ah, that's it. Jesus was the kernel of wheat planted in the ground that then produced many more seeds. And we are those seeds. We're what Jesus produced when planted. And he rose up from the grave in resurrection power. And now by the gift of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, has now been given to us. We have received that same power which absolutely guarantees that what happened for Jesus will happen for us. It's a biblical and hopeful way of thinking about our own death and our coming resurrection. We are currently seeds to a resurrection plant. I hope that's a helpful way of thinking about it. Listen, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians, and I won't read all of it. Uh, I encourage you to. But he goes on to say that, listen, this is what it'll be like in the resurrection of the dead. Uh, The body that is sown is perishable. It's raised imperishable. We already read this, but I'm just catching this up. It's sown in a natural body. It's raised in a spiritual body. He doesn't mean by that that it's not a body. What he's talking about now is a glorified, flesh and blood body like Jesus. Uh, Now a body that's no longer corruptible. And he goes on to describe this back and forth, uh, you know, how the spiritual didn't come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual, and he's comparing us with Adam. He's doing a whole bunch of deep theological things I encourage you to read. But then, toward the end, he says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. In other words, something has to change. That's exactly what's going to happen. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. That's resurrection, folks. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. I mean, that's incredible stuff. It's all here, inside of us, given to us by the Holy Spirit, that because of Jesus, we're becoming something new. And at our resurrection, it'll be massively new, and yet, it will have been planted by who we are now. It'll be something beyond our wildest dreams, and yet, it will be somehow consistent with our identity, who God has created us to be now. Our bodies matter now, because in them, we possess God's resurrection life. And our bodies will matter after when we fully become all that God has destined us to be. Now, I don't know all that that's going to look like. Paul didn't either. He's going to sketch a bit of what it might be like when he invites us into that in hope and in faith that what's coming is amazing. And for now, we're walking Talking, witnessing, working, worshiping, seeds of resurrection. Because within every follower of Jesus, gifted by the Holy Spirit, germinates the power of Jesus' resurrection life. Well, how do we sum this up? You know what? After all that teaching, all through this long chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, like I said, the most kind of robust teaching on resurrection in the whole of the Bible You know what Paul does at the very end in one verse? He brings it all back to now. He brings it all back to here, to today. All of this resurrection theology, all this deep teaching, all this amazing hope for the life that's coming, it's meant to root us in our daily life now. It's meant to give us courage and hope, and strength. Listen to how he finishes. It's a beautiful flourish. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, in light of everything I've just said, all this stuff about resurrection, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Wow. We need to hold on to that. I mean, resurrection hope creates in us a power that is unshakable, Paul says, to stand firm. The recreation promise fills our lives with this strength from the Lord. Let nothing move you. Can you hear that? In light of what's coming after, work now. In light of your resurrection, witness now. In light of Jesus' promise, worship now. In light of all that God is doing, all that he's going to bring about through your tiny seed into resurrection glory, then you can always give yourself fully to the work that God has given you because you know you know Paul says that your labor in the Lord is not in vain your love for others it's not in vain the sacrifices that you are making for the Lord it's not in vain your sleepless nights are not in vain your hard-won efforts are not in vain your consistent faithfulness it's not in vain Your midnight prayers, they're not in vain. We can hold on to this hope, knowing that our very labor in the Lord is not in vain. Jesus is going to come through. He's going to come through for you. He's going to come through for me. He's going to come through for the whole world by bringing his heaven here. And isn't, actually, isn't that what Stephen Gobert was actually saying? I mean, when he said, no matter what happens, you're never defeated, isn't that what he was reiterating? When he said, death is not defeat, wasn't that what he was pointing at? Look, because of Jesus, he's already defeated death, knowing this, knowing that heaven is ruling, knowing that heaven is coming, knowing that resurrection is sure, knowing that this seed that we are now, will become this planted and growing resurrection life, trusting God in all this, that really helps us, in Stephen's words, understand and see all of our lives in the light of eternity, in the light of the life that's coming, and perhaps find some way to love and laugh with each other too. I think that brings us home. Well, to close. A few years ago, I was ready to give up forever on one mun- much loved song called I'll Fly Away. It was just too platonic and too unbiblical for me. No offense intended. And yet, I didn't want to consign it to Gehenna quite yet. It's just such a toe tapping, body moving, delightful song. And I was torn had to be redeemed, so I rewrote it. I rewrote the song because, friends, we aren't going to fly away. That's not our hope. Thank Jesus. Rather, if we're going to fly at all, it's only going to be so that we can come back with Jesus on that glad day when we rise again. And so as we finish today... Join with us as we sing of our hope.
0: Hope in the life that's coming
1: when we'll rise again.
0: Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.